great singing and uh, what a great song. Still have goosebumps. It's not just because it's cold. We are going to um, return to the passage that we were in last week, Philippians chapter 3. So if, uh, we're at least going to start there. Philippians chapter 3. As you turn there, just uh, remind us, has Paul wrote to the um, uh, Corinthians, thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. He always leads us in the paths of victory in Christ. We are caught up in, in his royal train and celebration and victory because we have victory in him we, as we identify with him. And we ought to be uh, the most joyful people on planet earth because of that. We may suffer some temporary loss, but we know that we are victorious in Christ and nothing can change that. And we are being transformed into the image of Christ. In fact, one day we will look just like him. Sure, there's a lot of changing that needs to go on between now and then, but he's in the business of moving us in that direction. Without fail, he will do it. We will be like him. But for now, as we think about how are we supposed to be changed now? What does that look like now? What does that mean for us? We saw last week that part of that was being conformed to the death of Christ and the, the fellowship of his sufferings, as we saw in Philippians 3.10. Now, we come back to that passage again today to look at another aspect of that. So Philippians chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 10 and 11. That I may know him, which is, first of all, the, that which Paul says is the surpassing value of everything. He counts everything as rubbish compared to knowing him. So this is of extreme importance, the, the most important thing, the, the pearl of great price that I may know him. That's not only valuable, it is the way that we become like him is by knowing him more and more. And so Paul emphasizes this again and again in his writings, that I may know him more and more intimately. And so here he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, Philippians is a book whose major theme is joy. In fact, when Warren Wiersbe was writing the B series, what he labeled this book of Philippians was Be Joyful. And again and again, Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord. In fact, in chapter 4, he repeats it, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say Rejoice. That's kind of the theme of Philippians. And in the midst of this book on joy, here is this the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. Now, that doesn't sound a whole lot like joy. You can't imagine people lining up for tickets for this one. 
I, I want to know what the suffering is like in the being conformed to his death. But enable to get to that what enables us to get to the joy of a resurrected life and the kind of life that Christ wants us to live and that is in conformity to him. We go through that avenue for every one of us on that narrow path there is laid a cross and it has your name on it. If anyone would come after me let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. So we saw last week the um, being crucified with Christ and this week we are focusing more on the resurrected life being resurrected with him. And so Paul says at the beginning of verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection the resurrected life has its back towards sin and the world and a resurrected life has its face toward heaven and God the Savior so first of all resurrected life has its back towards sin and the world uh, it is in the likeness of Christ's resurrection that I may know the power of his resurrection. Christ uh, had revealed himself to Paul. Remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus with wanting to crucify some more Christians. But God stopped him in his tracks and revealed himself to him. And Paul saw the resurrected Christ. It made such a profound influence on him that he fell immediately to his face, bowed before him, called him Lord. And the after effect, even after Christ talked to him, he was blind for days until God sent someone to remove the scale from his eyes. Just that glimpse of a bit of glory so affected him he knew something of the power of the resurrection and overwhelming power and he said I, I want to know more of this I, I want to know that power in my life I want to know the power of the resurrection well um, Paul talks more about this in the book of Romans so let's go back to Romans chapter 6 and again, because we had spent so much time in this passage, we'll only uh, spend a few moments here. But we, we see, first of all, the truth stated in Romans 6, 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And here's the idea, the, 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 the death and burial and resurrection he's talking to is not water baptism. 
It is rather when a person comes to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, God places him into Christ. He's baptized or placed into. The word baptized just means to place into. So when we were placed into his death, we were identified with his death by putting our whole trust in what he has done for us in his death paying for our sin. We identify with him but not just with his death, also with his resurrection. The idea that he rose from the dead, he won victory over the grave and eternal life for us, and we identify with that as well. And so baptism, which we're going to have in a little while here, does not do this, it only symbolizes it. So a person goes down into the waters of baptism and back up, and that symbolizes the death and resurrection uh, of Christ, and that what we have gone through spiritually... Well, what Paul is saying here is if we have been identified with his death, then certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That same resurrection power that raised him from the dead is able to to resurrect you from being dead. You see, every person without Christ is spiritually dead. They're not just sick or doing poorly. They're dead spiritually dead and so to come to Christ and to put your faith and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection when a person does that they have new life right they're born again that is a resurrection out of the dead spiritual life to a new spiritual life and that's what this is about so that that I might realize the full impact of that is what Paul is saying now, it's the, that's the truth stated, but we need to go beyond just acknowledgement of the truth and say, okay, that's what it says. I'm not sure I fully understand it, but I believe it because God says it. It has to become operational in our life. It has to make a difference in our life. And so he explains a little bit more about that in the next verses. Verse 6 says, Knowing this, you can, you can be assured of this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. And here's the purpose of that. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. So the old, old person is dead. We count them dead, crucified with Christ. No longer slaves to sin for he who has died has been freed from sin if you think of for a moment the idea of a, a person who's recently passed away and you've had a funeral service and you've laid them in the ground and you covered them with dirt and will Mr. Jones sin anymore he's not going to sin anymore is he he's not going to lie he's not going to cheat he's not going to curse He's not going to do anything. He's dead. And so, in the same way, we should count our, ourselves that way. For he who has died has been freed for, from sin. Now, if we died, carry that analogy to us now. So, if we died, our old man died. Our old man was crucified with Christ. Now, if we died, we believe we shall also live with him not that old life that was crucified buried 
done. Not that life, but a new life. We shall also live with him knowing, verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And just as Christ rose from the dead and he lives forever and nothing will ever take his life from him. Christ is eternal, infinite. He will live forever, the risen lamb. Right? Same for you. If you have identified with his death by saying, I am crucified with Christ, you will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, a new life that now lives forever. That's the power of the resurrected life. We have life because he gave it to us. Because I live, you will live also, Jesus said. So we have our new life in him. Now, the application to our resurrection is uh, identified even more for us in verse 11 and 13 here. Likewise, so since all this stuff is true, likewise, you also reckon or count it to be so. Count yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You count it as truth for you. I'm dead to sin. The old man is crucified with Christ, but I'm alive to God. Verse 13. And do not go on presenting your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness to sin. You don't keep living like you used to. You don't present your body, your members, yourself as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but you purposefully present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your body as an instrument of righteousness to God. God, how can I live for you with the resurrected power in me, the Holy Spirit inside of me enabling me to live for you? That's the power of the resurrection. And the same way that we needed that power to be born again to come out of death of being spiritually dead to being born again to new life we need that same power to keep going every day living for Christ like uh, let's say you you got a brand new engine for your automobile your last engine died and so you got a brand new engine and uh, let's say you have a a Honda so it, it comes by UPS and it's a little box your brand new engine and you, you open it up and you put it in your engine and I suppose you probably have to connect screws or something I know nothing about these things but, <clears throat> but I do know that if you put that brand new engine in there it's going to need something else before it can run it's going to need fuel as a power source right it's got to have it's got to have fuel it's not good enough just to have a new engine you have to have power it's like you it's not good enough to just have a new life you have to have power for your new life and to to have that new life to start that engine you have to have the fuel right then but i found out this strange thing for my engine and my car to keep it going 
I have to keep putting fuel in that. And, and it's more and more costly to do that. I'm taking out a loan next week to be able to refill it. But, but it is, it, it takes that on a continual basis. So you have to keep refilling it, right? Your life is like that. Not only do you begin in the Spirit, but you continue on in the Spirit. Not only do you have the resurrected life the moment you're born again, that's your resurrected life, but you continue in the power of that resurrected life by the same power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit every day in your life to empower you to live the resurrected life. <clears throat> you cannot, you cannot do it on your own. And that is why Paul was so desperate. Oh, that I might know the power, the power source of that resurrection of Christ. Because I need that in my life. Do you need that too? Paul says, I, I need that. If Paul needed that, I think I do too. Now, you are uh, free in Christ because... Uh, person has died he is freed from sin so don't verse 13 don't choose to present your members to unrighteousness but choose to present yourself your members as instruments to righteousness you are free in Christ for sin shall not have dominion over you verse 14 for you are not under law but under grace you are free in Christ but freedom does not mean uh, the absence of any constraints or the absence of any moral absolutes. Suppose a skydiver is up in a plane with his friends 10,000 feet up in the sky or however far they go. And they're getting ready to jump and this one particular skydiver says, you know, I've decided today I want to live free I want to live without any constraints I'm jumping out without the parachute I don't want anything holding me back well he would be free to make that choice right but he would not be free of the law of gravity he needs to understand the gravity of the situation because there's a higher law in operation now to, to really enjoy if anyone can jumping out of a plane skydiving you, you need the constraint of the parachute you need that if you have that you can jump and enjoy that, uh, that jump if you don't, you jump and you live in terror. Right? For a few seconds. So, it's your choice. Do you want to live in fear? Or do you want to accept the law of God working in your life and live in freedom and joy? So, we have the freedom in Christ to now finally live for Him. It doesn't mean we cast off all restraint, but that we, we live for him. Uh, a life given to righteousness. So, 
a resurrected life has its back towards sin in the world and then secondly a, a resurrected life has its face toward the Savior and heaven now let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 again Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 and 11 again that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead the resurrected life with its face toward the Savior in heaven speaks about where I'm going to attain to the resurrection from the dead Now, some people have mistaken this to think that perhaps Paul wasn't certain what was going to happen to him when he died. Would he go to heaven or not? That if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You see how some person could potentially see that as being doubt in Paul's mind about where he was going. But you have to really compare what Paul has said elsewhere... Uh, you never take a verse by itself but you, you look at clearer passages and just looking here in the book of Philippians for instance chapter 1 verse 6 <clears throat> being confident being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ that it is Christ who is doing that work and he is the one who is the guarantor. Chapter 1 verse 21. <clears throat> For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he knows what's going to happen. Verse 23. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Which is far better. So he knows that, that to... Um, to die, a desire to depart, and is to be with Christ. So he knows where he's going. And there are a number of other verses, even, uh, even in the same book of Philippians as elsewhere, Paul was certain where he was going. Now, I liked what John MacArthur had to say about this statement of Paul, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is not a statement, uh, John MacArthur says, this is not a statement of Paul's doubt, but his humility. You see that? He, Paul was not the kind of person that says, yeah, I've, I've got it made, I'm, I'm already there. And it, It's not a statement of his doubt, but of his own personal humility. Or, as William Hendrickson has said, <clears throat> Um, Paul's distrust is not with God but with self that's a good way to think of it Paul's distrust here is, is not with God but with self he has no doubt about God and God's ability to safely deliver him home 
His doubt is with his own self. Am I, am I going to continue to be faithful to Christ? And, and looking at my past life, I see how many times I've failed him. And, and so it's a, it's a statement of humility. And I think a healthy dose of self-doubt. Uh, so that we continue to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God and trust in His grace and forever, forever say, God, I need you today. If I am going to live successfully for you today, I need to know the power of your resurrection by your Holy Spirit in my life today to enable me to live for you. Now, <clears throat> some, some think, uh, for instance, S. Lewis Johnson writes that he believes Paul is talking about the rapture here that I may somehow attain to the resurrection, the going up, Anastasia, uh, the resurrection. But, and he uses verse 14 as, uh, uh, to help prove that, which says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the upward call of God. Now, I think that's reading too much into the the term the upward call I think that what Paul is talking about here is the resurrection on the final day <clears throat> the ultimate resurrection that you read about in Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6 we won't take time to turn there now just for the sake of time but might write that down Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6 it, the, that resurrection to glorification is what that is about a resurrection to glory and we see here some hints even in this this passage look how the chapter ends chapter 3 verse 21 um, well might as well start in verse 20 for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, meaning even us. He's able to subdue all things to himself. When he returns, we eagerly wait for the Savior. He is going to transform our lowly bodies. And what's that transformation going to be like? So that it may be conformed to his glorious body so uh, I think what Paul is talking about is that that resurrection when he raises all the dead in who are who are believers the first resurrection in uh, Revelation 20 raises all believers to glorification now <clears throat> to um, add to that I look at the very next verse we saw in Romans, uh, excuse me, Philippians 3.11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, then the very next verse 12 says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What did he lay hold of us for? What purpose was it? Romans 8, 29, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That was the purpose that he laid hold of us. And so, Paul is saying, I haven't already attained to that. I'm not Christ-like yet. I'm not perfected yet, meaning I'm, I haven't been glorified yet. 
And so we know that God's not finished because we're not like Christ. He won't finish until we do look like Christ. And that will be when we see him as he is. We will then be transformed and conformed to his glorious body. Verse 21. So I think those things work together to show that what Paul is talking about in verse 11 is the resurrection to glory. So he talks about the verse 10 is the resurrection, the power of the resurrection that we, we live every day. We live in the power of that. And the other resurrection is a, the one to glory that we will eventually have being conformed to his image finally. Um, okay, another, I'll just give you another passage to write down that uh, is a great um, corresponding passage, Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. But let's press on. <clears throat> A resurrected life which has its face toward the Savior in heaven speaks of where I'm going towards glory. It also speaks of who I am right now. And for that, let's go back a couple of books to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. And certainly this verse applied to last week being crucified with Christ as well as this week being raised with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that one verse deserves a sermon all its own. So let me just briefly point out a few things here. First of all, I have been crucified with Christ. I like the way the New King James translates that because it correctly handles the perfect here. I have been crucified the idea is something that happened in the past with continuing results. Like if you say, um, I have been married since, and it's continuing on or whatever. Done in the past, continuing on. I have been crucified with Christ and I am even today. I, I was and I still am crucified with Christ. I am not who I used to be. I am not the old man. I have been crucified with Christ. That, that old man is crucified with him, done away with. Now, the rest of the verse has to do with resurrection then. The rest of the verse has to do with who we are since we have been crucified with him. In what sense if we have died... Do we live? Because we're not in the grave. We're alive. We're walking around. And most of you look alive. So I'm trusting you are. 
So we're alive. So what sense do we live now? And that's what he's talking about the rest of the verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer the old I who lives. But Christ lives in me. It's the Christ life. Christ lives in me. And therefore, the life which I now live walking around in the flesh in this mortal body, this casement, this temporary tent, the life that I'm living inside this body has Christ in it. There's, Christ is inside. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in this body, this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God in Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know that I can trust him because he loves me so much that he gave himself for me. So it's not so much that I have a new life as Christ lives in me. Uh, again, quoting John MacArthur has a great line about this. It says, <clears throat> the true Christian life is not so much a believer's living for Christ as Christ living through the believer. An excellent statement. Think about this. The, because often, haven't you heard it said or thought, maybe said yourself that the Christian life is a believer living for Christ? I'm living for Christ? Doesn't that sound good? Sounds right? I probably said it a number of times myself. But there, there's something not quite right with it. It's not so much a believer living for Christ as Christ living through the believer. It's not what we do for Him as if He needed us to do anything. It is rather what He does in us and for us and through us. That's all that matters. Not that I live for him, but he lives through me. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll get to some abiding truths in John 15, abiding in the vine, and we'll see this thought again. Um, but for now, let's press on to the last point here. That is... The resurrected life speaks of what my focus is. And for this, let's go to Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 4. So turn to the right of a few pages, a couple books, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ. So if this is true of you. 
If you have identified with Christ, with his death and resurrection, you believe he died for you, he rose for you, you want to know the power of his resurrection, you belong to him. If then you are raised with Christ, you have new life with him, this applies to you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. It's hidden with Christ. It's treasured away. Hidden like a treasure in Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, when Christ, our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's your glorification again, resurrected to glory at that time, being transformed to look just like him. In the meantime, if you are raised with Christ, verse 1, seek those things which are above. What are those things? What are those things? Well, it says, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So those are heavenly things, right? Seek the things which are heavenly, the things which belong to Christ. What kind of things would be at home in heaven? Holiness. Truth is at home in heaven. Joy, real love, mercy, righteousness is at home in heaven. Grace, wisdom. You see, those things are of heaven. And so, if you are raised with Christ, are you seeking God's truth? Are you seeking God's grace? Are you seeking God's Wisdom, are you seeking God's mercy? You see, are you seeking those things? Are you seeking God's righteousness? You could keep on making a list of those things, of the kinds of things that are of heaven where Christ is. Seek those things, set your heart on them. As Jesus said, Matthew 6 21, where your treasure is there your heart will be also so are you treasuring the things of earth and the things that non-believers treasure are you seeking after those kinds of things or do you treasure the kinds of things that God treasures heavenly treasure truth and holiness and joy and those kinds of things Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, after he said, where your treasure is, later on he said, seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so here, Paul is saying, seek those things which are above where Christ is. And Christ is saying, let me tell you what that looks like. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. 
So the important thing is to where our heart's desire is. What direction are we going? A resurrected life has its back towards sin in the world and has its face toward the Savior in heaven. It's seeking the things which are important to the Savior. Um, verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. It, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the things of this life and this earth. In fact, we can become so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Go back just a little bit to Philippians chapter 3 again. And look at verses 18 and 19. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. <clears throat> For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly or their, uh, their appetites and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Which of those two verses characterize you? Philippians 3.19, setting your mind on earthly things, or Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Seek those things. Which, which of those typifies you? You need to purposely seek the things which are above. Verses 13 and 14 here, Philippians 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Forgetting the things which are behind, pressing on towards what's ahead, what God has in store for us ahead. I'd like to ask the uh, worship team to come up. We're going to have one more song here in a moment. But as they do, <clears throat> I want to close with uh, just a story. Frozen in statue in Vancouver's Empire Stadium is a golden moment of sports history. The year was 1954. It was marked by the first time that anyone in history had ever run a mile in less than four minutes. A remarkable feat. One that people thought would never be surpassed. That, that they thought no one could ever run a mile in less than four minutes. And that year, two men did it. Both of these men were part of the British Empire, so they came to the British Empire Games in Vancouver that year. Roger Bannister of England and John Landy of Australia. This was a highly anticipated race then. Here you have two world champions, both of whom had broken the world record in that one year. Under four-minute mile. 
And so this was called the Miracle Mile race. The gun goes off and they take off running. And John Landy Red led almost the whole race. They were like step in step, but John Landy of Australia was in the lead. At the final turn, he, he turned his head just slightly to, to locate Bannister, to try to see where he was. When he turned his head, he broke his stride just slightly. You have to picture this all happening in a split second. He turns his head, breaks his stride, and Bannister passes him on the right and races on to victory. Just in that, that one moment. Well, that has been forever captured in a statue at the Vancouver Empire Stadium there. It shows one man, these two men racing, one man looking back and one man looking forward to victory. And which one of those would be you? Are you, are you the person that keeps looking back? Or are you pressing forward to the victory? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't look back at the other things of the world. Don't seek after those. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In his prayer earlier in the same chapter of Matthew 6, he had said... Um, the, the model prayer that, that is often quoted. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Then he, he prays for one thing first. Your kingdom come. The very first prayer request. Your kingdom come. Then I believe he explains what the kingdom is. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, right? So that's what the kingdom coming is going to be like. God's will done on earth like it is in heaven. That is what it should be in your life. If you would pray that, Lord, your kingdom come to my heart. That would mean, Lord, your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. That's my prayer. That's my desire, Lord. That's what I want. And I haven't achieved that yet. I, I say with Paul, and I'm sure with all of you, I have not yet attained. I am not yet perfected, but I press on. And I want this one thing, your will to be done in my life at li like it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let it come to me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection which seals our victory. And we pray that we would live in light of that victory, that we would seek your kingdom and your working in our life, that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together.